Well, if you are anything like my wife, when you read Revelation, it's kind of like when she watches sports. She knows that it's on, and she, she's looking at it, and she's analyzing it, but there's still a lot that, she <laughs> that she's confused about. Um, that's how I feel sometimes when I read Revelation. But the, th- the, the thing that we want to focus on today is we want to try and keep it really practical. What is, what is the clear and practical message that Revelation 6 is speaking? And by the way, I got permission from my wife to say that. So she's, she's not here today, but she gave me permission. She thought it was hilarious, actually, when I told her last night. So I grew up in Bern, Indiana. And, and Bern, if you didn't know, this sits directly on top of the Continental Divide. And if you're not familiar with the Continental Divide, it's an area of raised terrain that separates uh, a continent's river systems And depending on which side the water falls on of the divide, that depends on which water basin it feeds. And so in Bern, um, the divide is specifically the St. Lawrence Continental Divide, runs directly through the park, runs directly through the baseball diamonds. And as a kid, I remember when I played Little League, my grandpa used to say, if you spit on the first base side, it flows to the Great Lakes. If you spit on the third base side, then it flows to the Gulf of Mexico. And I always thought that was super cool. Um, It's an interesting fact, but what does that have to do with Revelation? Well, for many believers, Revelation 6 is the continental divide. This is meaning that from this point forward in Revelation, there are different endings. There are different thoughts. There are different uh, interpretations on how the end times will unfold. And over the last... I think we need to keep this in mind. Over the last several thousand years, some of the most brilliant Christian minds have dissected these verses and they've landed in different places. People much smarter than me. And um, does that mean we can't understand it? No, but it means that we do have to um, be very diligent and um, persistent in seeking God and seeking his spirit. So what's the focus today? Well, today we're going to be in Revelation 6, and um, our focus will not be on the continental divide. If you have those questions, um, if you have any questions, really this goes for any week that Pastor John um, or I or anyone else is up here. If you have questions, go to the next steps area, fill those questions out. I know that Pastor John would love, love to answer those questions, either answer answer them or research them, uh, probably with Revelation, research through the week and get back with you. But if you have those questions, please write them down. Uh, we would love to look at those. Our focus today is going to be, number one, what is the clear and practical message that Revelation 6 is speaking? And number two, what are we as modern believers in a modern context, what are we going to do about it? I think a common mistake that many people fall into with Revelation is to dissect it in a vacuum. Revelation contains a lot of Old Testament quotations, and we are told directly in the book that it is a prophecy. Peter, in 2 Peter 1.20, writes, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. And so, what does that mean? Well, in other words, it has to fit into, it's a, it has to fit into the bigger picture. It's part of a bigger picture, and it must fit into that bigger picture. So, um, Obviously, 
I think that Pastor John had said, had given a per, us a percentage of what percentage of Revelation is Old Testament, right? Was it 60%? 68% is, is Old Testament. We've got to be consistent with the rest of what the Bible says because it's quoting it, you know, back to Old Testament. And so uh, Pastor John's going to dig more deeply into Revelation 6 and some of those details. But I want to set the stage a little bit and kind of do some preliminary work before we get there. So if, you, if you're in a D group, you've already read some of this. Um, you, you, you've probably um, seen the, the, the language. It's very mysterious. It's very ominous. It's very, it can be very volatile. And it reminds me of a lot of Old Testament passages. The first one I want to look at today is Deuteronomy 32. So in Deuteronomy 32, starting in verse 23, it says this. God is speaking to Israel, and I will heap disasters upon them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust. So again, not comfort, not too much comfort, right? There, it's, it's uh, famine, hunger, plague, pestilence. And here in Deuteronomy, again, God is speaking to Israel, Israel, but the language is similar to what we get in Revelation 6. He is allowing for calamity to come. He is allowing for judgment to come, which will ultimately glorify his name, both in grace, when believers repent in that time of plague and pestilence and famine and hunger. When believers repent and are saved, he gets the glory. When those who are ungodly, those who are against him are judged. When there's justice that comes, he gets the glory for that as well. And so you can see how he works in these situations to, to provide both of that, both of those. Uh, let's look at another passage, Joel 2. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That's important, day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those to escape. As the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So Joel is describing an event that we see all throughout Scripture that is called the day of the Lord. A specific time period when God will personally and directly intervene in human affairs in this earth in order to accomplish his plan and glorify his name. I think that we've seen him do this before, right? We read through scripture, I think we've seen him directly and personally intervene before. And notice that in this prophecy from Joel, he is describing our era. This is, this is our era in history. And it shall come to pass, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That's where we're living right now, here today. This is what they long to see, is a time when God's spirit would be living inside. He's given us the Holy Spirit through salvation. We're living in that era. And so, it makes it even more relevant to today. And God gives us the most uh, important aspect of the why behind this. 
everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that not what he wants? When he sends the Israelites into exile, is it because he's, he's, he's trying to um, punish them just to punish them? Or is it a loving discipline? He wants them to repent, right? He wants us to repent. And so we have to, again, process this through the bigger picture. God is using famine. He's using plagues. He's using war. He's going to execute judgment on the ungodly. But he's also going to bring his people back to him. So it's this idea of both. Both can be true, right? Justice and repentance. And we see this, again, scattered all throughout Scripture. Ezekiel 5, Ezekiel 14, Jeremiah 15. We could go on and on. The, the passages that speak to the same type of message. In all eras of human history, whether you're talking about Israel in the Old Testament or America today, and everywhere in between, the reality is humanity has played the role of harlot by prostituting themselves to the systems of this world instead of loving God. And because of that, judgment is going to come. It it has to. However, we are constantly reminded in Revelation. You know, Revelation is this book where, yes, there's a a lot of ominous language. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of judgment. But we're constantly reminded that there is one who has overcome. We are constantly reminded in Revelation that there is a lamb looking as if it was slain, who has conquered sin, who has conquered death. And through repentance, we can know him. We can bring glory to God. Yes, judgment is coming, but you can choose life today. You can choose repentance and salvation today. That is a message in Revelation. You can choose it. There is hope today for the sinner. And again, this is not an accidental choice. Either you worship God and follow Jesus or you don't. The other thing that Revelation teaches us is that the, if you want to go back to the continental divide analogy, there is going to be a divide. There's going to be a hard line in the sand And either you're following Jesus or you're not. And no one is going to be able to say, oh, well, I didn't know. Well, God never told me or I misunderstood. There aren't going to be any excuses. In the same way that Israel was warned multiple times before they were carried off to captivity, this world is going to get destroyed, okay? And the signs, we, we see them today. The signs are obvious. The signs are clearly seen. Where does it lead us? What does it lead us to do? How does it lead us to live? Those are the questions. Those are the relevant questions we need to be asking. Do you realize we are living right now in a time of grace? We're living in a time of grace. God should have executed justice in the garden, right? It could have, could have, not should have, could have executed in the garden. Not to mention so many other times in human history, but Revelation makes it clear. Look, there is a day coming. And on one hand, we rejoice at that. We want to see evil destroyed. We want to see justice. We want to see every evil act punished, every wrong being made right. God is giving fair warning as he always does. And he's calling us to make a decision, really. That's what it comes down to. It comes back to, what are we going to do about it? But that decision to follow him, and I I really want you to understand this, the decision to follow him with complete allegiance what we, what we know about Revelation is there's going to be an ex- expiration date. There is an expiration date to following. Imagine uh, going to the store 
and buying canned goods from the store. And you, you bring the canned goods home and you look at the can and you look at the expiration date and it says, consume today will expire soon. Are you putting that in your pantry? Of course not. It's going to expire soon. You don't know exactly when. It says, consume today. And yet, you know, wisdom would tell us, okay, I need to consume this day. And yet, we look around today and we can see many people who are stocking their pantries with those canned goods. Many Christians who are stocking their pantry with those canned goods. Oh, I have a little bit. Oh, you know, we talked about in Sunday school. Oh, wait, the two witnesses haven't come yet. I got a little bit of time. John, P- Pastor John talked about college students who say, Oh, in my 40s, I'll get serious about it. In my 40s, I'll settle down and get serious about Jesus. It's not, it makes no sense when you read Revelation. It makes no sense to wait. Remember the Snickers commercial, Why Wait? That's what Revelation is asking us. Why would anyone wait to follow Jesus when you read the kind of things that you read in Revelation? Yes, there is going to be an expiration date. And God does not want anyone to perish. He says that in his word. He wants all to repent and find him. And he will use whatever necessary to bring that revelation to pass. I want to leave you, before Pastor John comes up and digs more into Revelation 6, I want to leave you with the words of Paul from 1 Thessalonians 5. For you yourselves are fully aware that on the day of the Lord, it will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you all are children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Thanks, Brad. Uh, we're going to be in Revelation 6, 1 through 8. So uh, we got a lot to get through. So let's hold on. Get your pens ready. Uh, we're going to be writing some verses down. But we're going to start with Revelation 6, verse 1. It says this, I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, 
I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. Then I heard that, that what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures say, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beast of the earth. All right. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Okay, you've heard this. Four horsemen. When I was growing up, the first time I heard of four, the four horsemen were that on a wrestling show called WWE. So, but then I didn't realize that this is where it actually came from because I was a little kid. And so as a little kid, you discover things and you hear different things, just like we were talking about. Different people have different perceptions of what revelation's happening, right? But we need to continue to search what the Bible says and what the Bible says and uh, how we can dig into that. So let's take a look at this. Brad did a great job of building the foundation of Revelation 6 by looking back at the Old Testament. And we're going to continue to look at the Old Testament as we dig in. But let's start with the first thing in verse 6 is the lamb. When we talk about the lamb, uh, and this is where we have to continue to be wise and think. When we take Revelation, do we look at it as um, a literal or do we take it as more of a metaphor? Because it would be interesting, what did, G, what did John really see? Did he see really a lamb slain or did he see Jesus slain? Because when you talk literal, you're like, it would be hard for a lamb to be holding a sword, you know, with no thumb. You know, like you would have to, these are when we have to continue to dig into what literature was meaning and what John is actually meaning through all these processes. And as we look to communicate ourselves to other people when we talk about the book of Revelation. But as we talk about the lamb, many consider a lamb to be peaceful, weak, cuddly. And it does bear that of the Passover lamb and that of the suffering servant, and that of bearing the sins of the people. But the lamb also at that time, in, this, in Jewish time, would be that of God's rule and of power. And I, there's this ironic talk when you always are talking about the lamb of God, like you will also see him as a warrior. I like how Miles states this throughout scripture, the notion that there's this God and man, redeemer, and victim by death on a cross. And then you also have Jesus as a warrior, but also a lamb. He says it is inspicably paradoxical and even ironic how God has come to us when he does not need to. The lamb, Jesus, opens the first of the seven seals. And so many people miss this part. They are always focused on the future stuff. What is the seals breaking, uh, breaking? But we talked about it at Sunday school. Jesus is opening the seals. Jesus has the authority. He is the right hand of God. He is there. He is opening the seals. He is launching the final war. He is saying it is on. In verse 2, it says there's this white horse. 
that went out on a conquest. I just want you to think about this for a second. And many people have believed that this is the white horse is a resemblance of Jesus. It could have been Jesus or it could have been someone else. I want you to actually to know that this is not Jesus. This is someone that some people will believe like that is like a Christ, that is like a Messiah, but is not it. It would be much more in the vein of the Antichrist. Someone that will look like they can solve all the world's problems and be praised as such. They might even be looked at as a peaceful leader. Like in, we've talked about in Sunday school, the visual of the bow but no arrows is that, that it will continue to. And this is a great example, like in Revelations 19 and a, many more uh, opportunities, it will be shown that Jesus' weapon of choice is that of the sword. People will be fooled by the appearance of the Antichrist because they will believe in Satan's lies. And I believe that Satan works to mock God. Why do you think there's so many rainbow flags prevalent in the world today? Do you think that it's just some human idea? That rainbow... No, there is a deliberate attack, a deliberate attack to mock God. Because I find it really ironic. Why was the rainbow made in the first place? It was to not destroy the earth again because they had fallen so far into sin. And it is actually something that we should be very thankful for because if you do not think that we are starting to get very close to doing the exact same things that the people were doing in the time of Noah, you would have to be cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Because we are fallen people. And instead of the rainbow being a sign of the covenant that God made, it is a mockery. And people fall for it. People call that love. People call for it, and it is not. We must be able to see, we must be able to be aware that it's not my feelings, it's not your feelings. The only feelings that matter is God's, and it's God's word. The second seal is broken, and the second horse comes out, and is that of fiery red. And this one is given the power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. Red is talked about with bloodshed, terror, and death. That is a pretty common denominator throughout human history, would I not agree? Through wars and to where we're at now, even all around, there's bloodshed. But I love even when we were talking down there, Doug, Doug brought it up great. It's been, it's been around since Cain and Abel. Blood. Since the fall, there's this continual depravity of where we're at. The third seal is broken with a black horse. And just so you know, the black usually means that of famine. And this is part of breaking down the economic system where people will struggle to get food. And if they find food, they will not be able to find food for even probably their family. It will just be more for themselves. And how do you divvy this up? 
And that's why many people believe that whoever controls the economics controls the food and will be put in charge. And this could lead to a one world government where people decide who gets what and how they get it. Sound familiar? Like, it's not the first time in history that these thoughts, these processes have been taught. And so many times we have to remember that we're not always fighting flesh and blood. This is a spiritual warfare going on. And we'll hit the fourth seal here, that of death and Hades. To kill by sword, famine, plague, and by the wild beast. Wearsby states it like this. John saw two personages, death riding a pale horse and Hades, the grave, following him. And some people believe that death is that of the physical and uh, Hades is that of the spiritual. But Wearsby continues uh, uh, with, he says, Christ has the keys of death and the grave and both will one day be cast into the lake of fire. We see this fourth horse as being, this is death, this is Hades, this is the end. I want you to know who has control of it all. At the beginning, Jesus is the one that is allowing this. He opens it up. This is what is happening. And you know what? He has the keys at the end to throw death and Hades away forever. So that's what we need to rest on. That's what we need to trust in. As we, take, as we continue to take a look at this, I just want us to take a quick look of how many times of references John uses this in the Old Testament uh, in grabbing of the four horsemen, the horses, chariots, and applications laying it out. In Ezekiel 14, 12, 21, if, you, if it's not up there, that uh, I can't I remember if I sent this one or not. Ezekiel 14, 12 through 21, if you want to write this down. He's talking about... He talks about these in verse 12. He says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, if a country sins against me by being unfaithful, and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its food supply and send famine upon it and kill its people and their animals, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they could save only themselves by their righteousness, declares the sovereign Lord. Okay? Well, I'm just going to skip around here because in verse 15, it says, or if I send wild beast. Then in verse 17, or if I bring a sword against the country. In verse 19, then it says, or if I send the plague into the land. And he keeps repeating these things that we're already seeing again, right? The same horses, the same situations. And then in verse 21 of Ezekiel 14, it says this, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. How much worse will it be when I send against Jerusalem my four dreadful judgments, sword and famine and wild beast and plague, to kill its men and their animals? John is picking up on this motif. He is picking this up. And all through all this, Jesus has the authority and the control of the situation. And I'm being dead honest. Some of us really struggle with that. We struggle that there's these bad things that are happening, that, that there's these issues happening in, in the world. And how could Jesus, a loving God, open this up? 
where he's allowing natural and political disasters to happen. And he's even allowing the Antichrist. Many of us struggle with that thought because we think that bad things shouldn't happen. I'm letting you know that these things need to happen to purify the saints. And they need to happen to punish unbelievers. As Beale states, the Roman 6 passage shows that Jesus rules over a chaotic world. And suffering does not occur by chance. This is showing that these destructive times events are brought about by Christ for both redemption and judicial purposes of God. We were talking, and Brad was talking about the continental divide, that there's this time where there's, you're either on the right side or you're on the left side, and that this crack is there, and it's there. And I'm letting you know, just like birthing pains, it starts getting farther and farther apart, and the cracks keep dividing. And here, us as humans, I mean, if I was younger, I would do this all the time. Like, we are able to be like, oh, there's a crack there. I'll jump on this side. I like being over here. It's almost like I'll be over here. And the thing is, is there are cracks getting bigger. The cracks getting bitter where you, bigger where you have to decide. It's almost like deciding if you have a Band-Aid on, especially for guys, you got the, the, the hair right here. You got a Band-Aid on. You got, you got two choices. I pull it off slowly. And, or do I pull it off fast so I don't feel it, but there's a bunch of hair on a Band-Aid. You, there, there's these choices, there's these, this divide, and, and God is causing this divide to happen. It is, it is happening. He's allowing it because it is purifying us. That is a struggle for some because some people want to not have to make a decision. Some people don't want, I'll just leave the Band-Aid on. i got a third option. I'll do what I want to do. I am telling you, you will not have that choice because at some point, that crack is going to be too far where you can no longer do anything. You have made your choice. You have made your decision. God is drawing a hard line. And the horses and the chariots that, that are discussed throughout the Old Testament and New Testament are dict dictations and declarations of war. John picks this up in Zechariah uh, 6. Zechariah 6, verse 6, says this, I looked up again, and there before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains, mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, and the fourth dappled, all of them powerful. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these, my Lord? The angel answered me, these are the four spirits of heaven going out from, stand, from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. The one with the black horses is going toward the north, the one with the white horses is going to the west, and the one with the dappled horses to the south. When the powerful horses went out, they were standing to go throughout the earth. And he said, go throughout the earth so that they went throughout the earth. Let's look at Zechariah 1, 2 through 6. It has more to do with this. This is the word of the Lord that came to Zechariah the prophet, and this is what he says. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, return to me. We've talked about this already. Brad's already. Repent. 
declares the Lord Almighty. And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors to whom the early prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants and prophets, overtake your ancestors? Let's jump to verse 8. During the night I had a vision, and there before me was a man mounted on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown, and white horses. I asked, what are these, my lord? The angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, they are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, we have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and peace. I know I'm talking a lot about horses and a lot about angel of the Lord and digging in, but I'm just letting you know, this is John, like we've talked about, grabbing Old Testament uh, uh, stuff like a candy store and bringing it back, being like, there is a declaration. The four horses are going out into all the world. This is not just hitting one spot. We are reaching everywhere and we are going out. And the Jewish and Gentile people are now being better to understand that John is revealing four things. One, he is revealing that the horseman is a declaration of war that is coming from God's throne. Number two, it is coming from the four corners of the earth and that all of earth will be judged. Three, that the declaration of war is meant to validate his people and to judge the unbelievers. And four, and who brings about this all is Jesus, the divine warrior. I want to, the third point was that of Jesus as warrior. He's a divine warrior. John is referencing Jesus as a destroying judge of the unjust. Jesus is not just passive or gentle. And he is the thing. He is the sacrificial lamb. He died for our sins and he gave up his life and we're supposed to live like him. But we have to know that Jesus is the ultimate judge. He is the divine war and he will pick up our battles. He will fight for us. In multiple times, it talks about how Jesus is that, that with the drawn sword. In Revelations 19 and 15, it says... From the mouth comes a sharp sword to which strike down nations. Revelations 1, 16. From his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. Matthew 10, 34 through 36. It talks about Jesus says he has not come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword to divide and sever. Let's take a quick look at some Old Testament passages. Joshua 5. It's the fall of Jericho. In verse 13, he's talking about, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. 
Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did it. The angel of the Lord, and if you want to start looking at angel of the Lord motif, is a lot of people believe is Jesus before he was born through Mary, before physical sense. That Jesus had been with God since the beginning of time. He was there. He created. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word with God, and the, all these. So the angel of the Lord is used at and looked at as, as a mighty warrior. And it's really interesting. What do angels usually do when someone sees them? And they usually bow down and they say, do not be afraid. Get up. What does this angel of the Lord says? You are on holy ground. You're on holy ground, which should lead you. When else has been that holy ground? Is that of Exodus? You're on holy ground. Take off your sandals. There are these, these, these thinking, uh, the thoughts that will be going off in Jewish heads. Is this the same angel of the Lord, Jesus? Is this what's going on? First Chronicles 21, 16. David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in hand, extended over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell face down. Then the angel of the Lord ordered Gad to tell David to go up and build an altar of the Lord at the threshing floor. Psalms 35 says it too in verse 5 and 6. It talks about the angel of the Lord driving them away. The angel of the Lord. I want to make sure we have enough time. Jesus is not passive. An angel of the Lord is not passive. Jesus is the divine war, warrior, truly fighting on the behalf of truth, divine love, and justice. The reason why I want to sit on Jesus being a divine warrior is that he has authority over all. So many people out there in the world today are complaining about evil, but then they also complain about when justice comes. God is a righteous judge, and he will judge the earth. In these short eight verses, we are seeing that God is in charge of all things. And the question is, how do we respond to these things? Do we repent? How do we respond to our family? How do we respond to our neighbors? How do we respond to the world? How do we respond to suffering? Because do you not think there will be no consequences to those that hurt God's children? Of course there is. Jesus will get justice. Mark 9, 42 states this, says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for if them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If you're talking about, many people believe that oh, these are little kids. I believe it's young believers. You lead them astray. Now think if it's both. I've always thought that, what if they're little kids? and they're young believers, and you lead them astray. How do you think a just God is going to handle that? And he's going to handle it. That's why this revelation is saying there is a divide. This is happening to basically determine where you're at. Where are you? And we can see it in our entire world around us today. 
We literally have physical flesh and blood wars going on right now. And many of you have heard the atrocities. And I don't want to sound gruesome, but you cannot tell me that there are people in there right now that this day and age have put babies in ovens so their moms have to watch them die. Watching your kid be beheaded. That is the evil that we are facing. That is what is going on in the world today. And some of us can bury our heads or some of us are like, oh, yes. No. No, we have a righteous warrior. We have the just God. That is what my dependency is on. And I will trust in him. And I will give my life as a living sacrifice to that. But good men need to do stuff. We, we need to wait on the Lord. And he will guide us. We can all talk for hours and hours about if the first seal has already been broken or if the second seal has been broken or the third seal or more. But more than that, this letter is telling you Jesus is in charge. And this is for encouragement and a blessing in knowing that Jesus is our ultimate warrior, no matter what comes in front of us. But if we do not, and we do not get right with him and ask to repent to turn, we don't know what side we'll be on. But we actually do. We will be away from him because he will give us our wish. Your neighbor that doesn't know him, has made a choice, even if they do not know it. They have made a choice. We need to share the gospel in a loving and caring way. In such a way that we have time. Because Brad said it best. We still live in the time of grace. God has not come down now because he still wants his children to repent and turn. Do you not think that if a nation would repent and turn, that it would be beautiful. So let us not pray for just us to get across the finish line. Let's pray of a repentant heart. And as Delatia and them sing this last song, I want us not just to, to leave away, leave today unpractically in a way of just being like, oh, I know I need to say something to my family. I know I need to say something to my neighbor. I know that I need to do this, what is called, because there is a divide coming. Many people say, yeah, we're in the, we're in the fourth seal, we're in the sixth seal. Then what are you doing about it? The crack is getting farther. It's getting wider. What are we called to do? And so many of us right now are thinking, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't know what to do. Here's the shocking thing. You don't have to do it. You need to put your trust in God. You need to pray to God. You need to be like, God, I need to pray for my neighbor because there's no other way. I am telling you, I have distant family that I can't say the magic words anymore. It's going to take the Holy Spirit. So you know what I can do? I can pray. And I can read the Bible. And that's what I'm at right now in some situations. And I, so many people are like, oh, you're a pastor. You know how to say everything. I can say the perfect words, but the other person's heart, the only way they're going to be affected is by the Holy Spirit. 
by Jesus working. And that is what you're called to do. You're not called to say the perfect words. You're just called to be obedient to what God calls you to do. And the thing is, is the divide is getting wider and the crack is happening. And who knows? God could come a million years from now. It's his call. It's his choice. But I can guarantee you this too. You're not promised the rest of today. And your neighbor's not promised the rest of the day. So I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you. Not, I'm not doing it, John is. So as the song's going there, I, I ask you to, to pray to God. Maybe that's all it is. It's just prayer. Maybe you don't sing a word. Maybe you stand up and you hold your hands up high. Maybe whatever it is, maybe you need to turn around on your knees. I don't care because no one else does. It's you and God. If he's the ultimate warrior, then your neighbor, it shouldn't matter what they think. Your heart is his. So whatever that looks like, I pray that you go to him and pray for your family. Pray for your heart first to be repented and then pray and seek those that are lost. I want you to just glorify God in all that you do. Let us sing.